In this episode, we speak with Pawan Gupta, co-founder and CEO of Fashinza, a next-generation supply chain and fashion marketplace for brands and manufacturers. The platform supports everything from design to delivery, with end-to-end production and merchandising support. It provides direct access to vetted suppliers, real-time production tracking, digitized assembly lines, and data-driven quality control. Previously, Pawan co-founded Kurafoy, which today is the largest network of doctors in India. Kurafoy was acquired by a large U.S. corporate, Edifex, in an all-cash deal in 2017. I'm your host, RJ Lumba. We hope you enjoy the show. If you like the episode, click the subscribe and drop us a comment. RJ Lumba is the managing partner of GrowthCap and the executive chairman of Market Insight Media. He is the host of Growth Investor, a podcast featuring today's best investors, executives, and founders. In the minutes ahead, we'll uncover insights and strategies for accelerating growth and succeeding in business. Awa, oh, uh, so great to chat with you. Thanks for taking the time. Hey, thanks for having me, RJ. Hope your day is going good. So you're a second-time entrepreneur. The first time, which I think is seldom, you were able to successfully build and sell the company. Can you tell us a little bit about the first company? Because I think it'll set the stage for what we talk about next. Sure, absolutely. We had a great run. We started back in 2014 in healthcare. The idea was to build a social network, but a more academic platform for doctors to interact between themselves so that they can talk more about diseases, more about patient cases, collaborate, and effectively become better doctors. We started from India, grew to almost like half a million doctors in India, just with a small amount of funding, raised a small seed round. At that point of time, it felt like a lot of money, but nowadays it's just like any other seed round of a million and a half. But then it worked out pretty great. We built an amazing platform. All of these half a million doctors actively engaged in helping patients across the country get better. We had so many cases of children getting diagnosed with potential cancer cases early on in their lives just because some GP posted some results on that platform and some, let's say, a cancer specialist sitting in a metro town was able to figure that out. So it was an amazing thing. We absolutely loved the entire time we spent there. We also built a strong monetization platform in form of pharmaceutical advertisements and education platform for doctors. We were pharmaceutical companies to monetize it. And in 2017, we got acquired by a strategic partner. They are a billion dollar corporation based out of Seattle. And they acquired us in 2017. We stayed with them for two more years as part of the lock-in and transition. So yeah, effectively start to exit in three years and two more years with them. So it was a dream run, honestly. Yeah, it's pretty incredible that you were able to build that company quickly and then sell to a U.S. company. And then now you've entered into a completely different space and you're succeeding again as you had initially. So there's some magic to you as an entrepreneur. (laughs) What gave you the idea for Fashinza? And tell us a little bit more about it. Sure, absolutely. I don't know if there is a magic or not, but... I would definitely accept that we've been lucky for sure. I think coming to Fashinza, I grew up in a very small town in India and a pretty much manufacturing town. All of my friends or family were manufacturing one thing or the other. My father spent almost 40 years managing a plant, like completely different, like some steel pipes and something like that. 
but I saw how small and medium manufacturers work from day one, day one of my life. I was always amazed by it, to be honest. They did so much hard work at small units. Maybe some of them became big, but at the same time, just like taking some raw material, converting into something usable, and then sending those goods out to the entire world to be used. I was always amazed by it. Never ended up building a career in manufacturing, but post-acquisition of Curify, the previous startup, I ended up spending a lot more time at home and a lot more time at some of these factories. And it just was fascinating, to be honest. These SMBs were doing a lot of really good stuff. Most of them were family-run, creating jobs for millions of people, especially most of them were underprivileged people. So I wanted to do something for them. And as it started, I wanted to create an opportunity for them to sell it to the world. And this is how the conversation started. This is how I took this idea to my co-founders, Abhishek and Jamil. And Abhishek and I have known each other for a very long time, almost like close to 15 years now. We were in the same college and same dorm together. We also worked together for almost three years at Curify as well, where he was leading the product. So we had a great relationship and we kept on chatting about ideas. And this is one idea which amazed Abhishek as well. And Abhishek had a great experience working in fashion manufacturing in the past in his previous role in e-commerce. And when we went deeper and deeper into understanding how manufacturing worked in the fashion industry, we were amazed by two things. So one, it was a very global industry. A small manufacturer sitting in a small town of India, Bangladesh, could be manufacturing for, let's say, Zara. And Zara has probably never even heard the name of the manufacturer because of so many middlemen in the layers and in the supply chain. And I think like that obviously was fascinating how the largest retailer of the world went to the smallest of the factories in like a developing nation. But at the same time, we also saw the challenges around lack of transparency, lack of control over where your goods were being manufactured, in what conditions they were being manufactured, what was the condition of the employees or the laborers who are working on your goods. And secondly, we saw because the supply chain was not connected with data, like the data was not flowing from the manufacturers, the supply side to the demand side, we were always overproducing. We were wasting so much goods that were being produced. And even during the manufacturing process, because these small factories cannot invest in technology, we were doing inefficient manufacturing. Our guesses were that we were overproducing almost half of the clothes we all produced, like those clothes should not even have been produced. And the secondly, we were wasting almost close to 20% of the raw material in the supply chain. And which adds up to the cost, obviously, but it also adds up to the impact that the industry has on environment. And some of these things we could solve using technology and connecting data across the supply chains. And hence, we started working on this problem statement and we ended up building Fashionza, which is today a B2B marketplace where fashion brands and retailers on one side can come to the platform, find the manufacturers, whether they're small ones or the large ones work directly with them with complete transparency and get their goods shipped directly to their warehouses wherever they are. A very long answer to what you asked for, but this is what we are building today. It seems like a traditional industry that has taken a very long time to become more efficient. I remember about 20 years ago, I had a co-founder. We, we started an apparel business. 
And it was like a black box trying to figure things out in terms of, okay, who can actually provide the material? Who can assemble it? And it was very difficult to get information. It was a very manual process. And it's very interesting that it took as long as it has for Fashinza to be founded and really help all the brands out there. I'm going to hop into the company, but before I do that, I was really interested in your upbringing. It sounds like you're from a small, is it a rural area? Technically not, but for all practical purposes, it is a rural area. (laughs) So was it the case you ended up going to IIT, which is world-renowned for how hard it is to get into and the acumen you need to both get in and graduate? Would you say that for many, that is kind of a life-changing experience to go there? Absolutely. And I think I can't thank enough my college, my institute, which provided me with this opportunity. Coming from, like you said, a rural area in a country like India, which is already a developing country. And I'm talking about almost close to 14 years back in 2008, when I got into college, it was a tough thing. And it's obviously super competitive. Only 1% of the people who take the test get into it. And I had to prepare, like we were a group of almost like close to seven people and we had to prepare super hard for it. We dedicated two years of our life for that test. It is stressful for anybody who prepares for it. But yes, with the lack of opportunities that there were all these years back, getting into IIT really meant a life-changing opportunity. And getting to that college and living amongst some of the most talented people of the country who come from all across the different regions of the country. And at the same time, everybody feels like changing the world. So like imagine you put a thousand people living together for four years. Uh, the people coming in, graduating, and all of them want to change the world. And they feel like they can. They have the potential to change the world because they've seen all of these people like Vinod Khoslas of the world who have graduated from the institution and have made an impact on the world. And I think like that is obviously life-changing. And it, t- it takes a rigor to get into. And it also takes a rigor to survive and then set yourself for the success. But it has been invaluable for me in my life. And I am... Where I am today, a lot of the credit goes to where I got into. It seems like a lot of the tech leadership, even globally, has come from IIT. It's interesting. What what do you think it is that enables, I think there's a certain amount of humility in leadership style. It's quite impressive. Do you think that's what enables that leadership style, that culture, that kind of upbringing within IIT and India in general? Yeah. And also like the all of this leadership that has come to even I, if I consider myself, like most of us grew up in very humble backgrounds. Our parents probably had not even gone outside the country in their entire lifetimes. And that brings a lot of humility that keeps us grounded. Like my family did not even own a car for most of their lives. Like it was probably almost after I got into IIT that they owned their first car. So yes, most of us have had humble beginnings. Most of us at IIT have had humble upbringing and came from very small towns. Like, I'm not an exception, to be honest. Like, by no means, I'm an exception at IIT. Like, most of the people, probably almost 70, 20% of the people come from small towns, humble upbringings, just work really hard. It's a very meritocratic process. So that is how we ended up getting into it. There was no legacy involved. There was no coaching in terms of, like, your social skills or your soft skills, which not a lot of us get into our schooling. Like, our schools were not world-class. So I think that stays. And even at IIT, because we all live in like 
hostels, humble dorms. Like I went to a dorm in Stanford once. I was like, what the hell? This is much better than I have ever seen in my life. If you look at the dorms in IIT, they're much better now. The facilities are great. The professors are great. But I think it's still like super humble. Like it still feels like you are grounded. And once you go out in the world, you stay connected to that. Like I'm sitting in New York right now, but I still remember all the challenges that we faced, all the challenges the world still faces. More than a billion people in India still face those challenges and how they also need to be provided an opportunity to be where we are today or the world, like the developed world is today. And I think that connection, those roots stay with us. And hence, that was reflect in our leadership principles as well, which, as you mentioned, rightly is more humble than, let's say, anywhere else. What I'm hearing is you are a successful tech entrepreneur, but at the same time, it seems like you're driven by maybe a larger purpose. You reference the children in your first company that were healed because of maybe your technology helped facilitate that. And now you're trying to give economic opportunity to these maybe small and mid-sized manufacturers. Is that the case? Or do you have this mission behind what you're doing? Absolutely. And honestly, like this is what keeps us awake at the night. Yes, everybody wants to build a great business, but the power to really stretch comes from the fact that we are changing lives. I mean, I go to these small towns where our manufacturers are based and some of these manufacturers have life-changing stories with us. Like they were on the brink of bankruptcy. They literally turned around their business with us. They've grown four times with us and they have dreams as well. Like their families have dreams. They also want to become big. They also want to have great life for their children and not every business owner in a country like India is rich. Like, I mean, all of these small business owners are, most of them are struggling. And because we are able to provide them the best of the opportunities to grow their business with all kinds of support, it is life-changing for not just them, but their entire life, entire families, and also the ecosystem around those manufacturers, those hundreds of thousands of workers they employ and their families. So, I mean, just think of it like if I see the impact, like if we work with one small manufacturer and help them sustain their business, make profits, grow their business, we in fact end up impacting almost like close to 200 to 300 families, which is almost like a thousand people. And these people are the ones at the bottom of the pyramid. So any small impact is life-changing for them. And they are able to provide a better future for their children, for their next generation. And I think this is effectively what motivates us. This is what keeps us going. I've made a business, I've sold it. It's not like I'm really gunning it only for money or for fame. This is what we are gunning for. Yeah, I'm curious, when you were essentially meeting with your investors in the early days, Excel and Westbridge, how much of the mission played into it? I presume because typically investors of this ilk are primarily focused on the economic side of the equation, but how much of the mission and, and the impact played into the whole relationship. I do agree with the fact that obviously these investors, their primary goal is to make money and return to their LPs. And nobody can take that away. A great investor is one that returns a great amount of money to their LPs, and this is what their role is. So yes, obviously, that is the first, first and the foremost criteria for them. But at the same time, I think it's a tough thing to build a startup, run a business and grow it. And especially in a category-defining market like what we are doing, 
nothing like this existed so we were doing a category defining thing which can be super big but it's also extremely risky and that is why i, I think all of these investors also like so excel westbridge elevation pro so these are like global investors but a lot of indians are there i think they also shared that passion they also saw the opportunity and then they saw people who were absolutely driven by irrational logic to make this happen mm-hmm. in fact i still remember one of our investors before investing said i will invest in anything that you guys would do but feels like you have chosen the most complicated and toughest route to actually become a successful company i want to do something that i'm driven by and i don't have to think about why i'm waking up in the morning and the answer should not be money i mean because if the answer is money then i will definitely stop some day with such a mission that we have today it doesn't feel like we'll stop is there an education process with a lot of these small medium sized manufacturers like just to teach them how to use the website or the technology yes absolutely so in our case we have reduced the time so legacy softwares take almost like close to 6 months to get them onboarded and trained because we use smartphone as a function to run the entire software and technology it takes us less than a week and we obviously keep on retraining them as new and new people keep coming in their organization and at the same time we just provide them support honestly we have been fairly surprised by the fact that these small and medium manufacturers have been super adaptive to our platform one credit goes to them because the next generation are now entering into the businesses who use all sorts of e-commerce platforms to shop for themselves or use twitter facebook instagram what not they also want to bring change to their business in terms of how do they do it have more technology and automation in place they also want to be able to look at their smartphones and be able to tell how their business is running and that level of acceptance from the new generation that is now coming into the businesses has actually helped us as a tailwind now i'm curious what has been your biggest challenge in scaling this current company and how does that compare to your biggest challenge in the former company both of the companies have had their own share of challenges the challenges in this company are way different from the challenges that we had in the previous company so in this company for example the operations is a big thing like we have to be on the ground we have to talk to the suppliers we have to talk to our brands and retailers who who are also big and it's not a faceless thing like when you are working on a technology social network like curify the previous startup it's a more cohort based you have users here you have customers there you had non paying users who you want to engage so you can do a lot of good content send them out they might like it even if they are okay with it they are okay okay like it they engage on the platform hit like maybe a comment and stuff here you have customers like their lives depend on you it's b2b if we do not deliver the right clothing to our customer in time for their season their sales get hurt because we work with large customers the transaction sizes are huge and it makes meaningful difference to everyone's lives mm-hmm. so the scope of making mistake in the current business is much less and at the same time the supply chains are very very ancient they mm-hmm. were built for a very different world they were not built for the speed and reliability this e-commerce world requires so hence using that supply chain which was built for an ancient world 
and repurposing that supply chain for this new fast, more e-commerce world, which requires even more reliability, is the absolute tough part. Mm-hmm. And we are taking it step by step, but because the scope of making mistakes in a B2B enterprise, B2B kind of business is much less. We're coming up on time, but I do like to end with a couple questions. One is, can you tell me about a book that has had a profound impact on you? Oh, obviously, I mean, like so many books. So one of the books I think is very profound impact is Principles by Ray Dalio. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a great guy. He's not just an author. He's actually built businesses. And all the principles that he defined in the book are not theoretically. He's actually implemented them in his life in his organization. And I can see the real impact that those principles have had in my life as well. I haven't been able to implement them fully, but whatever I have been able to have been really impactful. And last question, can you tell us about a person that you admire and it doesn't have to be in business? Great question. It might not be relevant to the entire audience, but I follow cricket a lot and it's a great sport. Mm -hmm. Followed in the subcontinent a lot. People are mad about it. So there used to be a team captain called Saurav Ganguly. So he was a captain when I was growing up and I saw how he completely transformed how we played cricket from a more defensive mode to a more aggressive mode. And the most important thing which I admire about him was how he put youngsters in a position, literally threw them in the pit and asked them to perform and just like shine. And this is how we run our organizations as well. We take bets on people. We don't take a bet on their experience. We take a bet on people. Like Until you put them in the situation, until you give them responsibility, they will never show you their true potential. And this is what I really admire and has actually had a wonderful impact on my career and how I run the business. Excellent. Pawan, I want to thank you for taking the time to chat with us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Rajay. This was super fun. 